We've been in a series, this is week number 10, which I thought, oh, this will last three weeks. Um, but here we are, 10 weeks in, and we're talking about transition, change in life, changes that happen more than just, you know, you know, getting a new refrigerator or something like that. That can be a change, you know, things get put in a different place. But I mean bigger transitions, bigger changes, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's a promotion. And we have gotten testimonies in various different areas, and I'll probably share one today because it kind of fits in the message, but it's exciting. And what's so cool is we can know that things are happening before they happen. That is a uh, thing in God that is really cool. You can know something before it happens. And it's not all bad things you're going to know either. It is good things because God has good things. So if you will, open up your Bibles to Mark, the fifth chapter, and we are going to talk about a uh, transition time in Jesus's ministry. We may not realize this, but in the ministry of Jesus, there were even transitions uh, to new things, different places that, uh, that he had not walked in. And we're going to look at one of those here. And in our own lives, or even as a church world, you know, universal or individually, God can prompt and do things to reach out and cause influence to happen in different areas, maybe that were not being influenced before. And to me, this is a real interesting one. In Mark, the fifth chapter, if you're there in the first verse, maybe you've heard this before, but maybe we'll talk about a few things that will help our understanding and the idea of transition and how to navigate transition in our own lives. So Mark 5, 1, it said, Then they came to the other side of the sea by the country of the Gatherings. You know, when those words are there and things are put in there, uh, you want to look sometimes. It's interesting. Luke was a physician at one time. He will give details others didn't give, like he would tell which hand Jesus healed, where others would just say the Lord healed his hand. But details sometimes really can mean something. In, in promotion in the Bible, you can see where Barnabas and Saul had uh, been doing a work for God. And at one point, they had fulfilled what they were supposed to do, and they were in a transition time. And when they transitioned, if you read in the Bible, all the way up until that time, it's always mentioned Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. Paul had this tremendous call on his life, but he really hadn't entered into it yet. He was actually, in one way, uh, in training. And then all of a sudden, as they had done what they were supposed to do, the Spirit said, now separate me, Barnabas first, and Saul to the work to which I have called them. Now, it had been years and years and years that Paul is doing this. And all of a sudden, the Lord said, now separate them to the work that I called them. In other words, they had been doing work, but now they're getting separated to the work which he was called to. 
And before the end of that chapter, you never see Paul or Saul, same person, ever mentioned second to Barnabas. All of a sudden, he moved in position. And it was always Barnabas and Saul. Now you'll see Paul and Barnabas. Because Paul had finally entered or transitioned into that time. This was a transition time in Jesus' ministry. An interesting one. Because Jesus said this at different times. When this woman came and wanted healing for her daughter, he said, it's not right. How many of you know if Jesus said something's not right, it's not right. And he said, it's not right to take what belongs to the children, and he called it the children's bread, and give it to a dog. You know, the years ago they had those WWJD bracelets. Maybe they still have them. What would Jesus do? Jesus would call people a dog. That wasn't a compliment. He just said, it's not right for me to give you, you dog, what belongs to us. Chosen people. Now, he wasn't arrogant and full of pride, but these were people of the covenant. She's not of the covenant. And that lady right there just stayed humble, stayed on track, and she just went, yes, Lord. You know how dogs do that? I'm just kidding. She said, yes, Lord, but, but we'll take the crumbs that fall from the table. She didn't deny her heritage. She just said, we don't, it won't take much for us. And he said, for this, your daughter's whole. And she was miraculously healed. Well, Jesus made that statement and he said, I'm not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In Jesus's earthly ministry, he wasn't sent to the Gentiles, people like us. Or at least I assume the majority of us in here non-Jewish people. He wasn't sent. Now, he was sent to redeem the world, but in his earthly ministry, there were borders. And at this time in his life, we're going to see that there was a transition where he went beyond that border to help somebody. Mark 5. You ready? He went to this place called the country of the gatherings. They were Hellenists, they were Greek philosophers, they, they, and, and as we read, we'll see these people did things outside the law of God that were not really uh, things that, that Jews would do. And like one, bacon, aren't you glad that we can eat bacon? Yeah. I thought I got way more amens than that, I mean... <laughs> You know, pork and stuff like that. Well, under strict Jewish law, they couldn't do that. And so you can see he's going into this culture. It's a time of transition. He's about to influence a land and an area and a group of people that had never been touched like this before by God and have such an impact. And notice this. It said, then they came to this place, and in verse 2 it said, when he had come out of the boat immediately, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains. Isn't it interesting? This guy is demonized so much and, and it's, this is a thought. Just a thought, but there may be relevance where was he hanging out? 
Where was he comfortable hanging out? Maybe how he was hanging out and where he was hanging out and whom he was hanging out with, what he was hanging out with was because of a influence that he was under. And it said he was there, no one could chain him. Verse 4, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. In other words, he's out of control and people knew him in this area. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and in, in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. Isn't it interesting some of the relevance of cutting and torment and uh, what torment is connected to? You don't ever find the disciples going, I'm tormented following the Lord. I'm just tormented the more I commit to the Lord. That doesn't mean you won't have tests and trials, but there is a peace. Notice verse 6, and when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and, uh, ran and worshipped him. He fell down, he worshipped him, and cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I implore you that, uh, by God that you do not torment me. Notice this, for he said to him, or literally he had said, the reason he ran up to him, the reason he was crying out, and the reason he was acting like this was Jesus had commanded the spirit to let go of this guy. He had told him, come out, you unclean spirit. Verse 9 said, then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. In other words, one spirit possessed him, but thousands were in him under that control. What a state this guy is in. It says in verse 10, Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. In other words, these spirits are like, don't send us from this area. You know, if, you, if we would slow down and look at some of this stuff, uh, it might answer some questions. Like, it, have you ever noticed you can go to certain areas and certain areas have certain types of activity? Like if you think of San Francisco. We think of rice right? The San Francisco treat. No, you, you know what I mean? You think... You think Los Angeles, you think certain things, you think certain areas, and you know there are certain things that occur there. Well, these spirits seemed to like the region they were in, and they said, don't get us out of the region we're in. We want to stay in this region. And these spirits had to be some kind of sexually perverted spirits when you look at it and what they were doing and the man being naked and certain things like that. And they said, we, we want to be here. We don't want to go out of this area. If you're familiar with different areas, you'll see that in different areas, they're prone towards certain things. Could it be that there are spirits that feel comfortable in different areas uh, 
And I know this, and I don't say this very often, but sometimes I've gone places, and you can sense like an influence. And you think, I never think like that. And you just, it's like outward influence. And I've, under my breath, said, no, you'll have to go find somebody else. These things are real, and, and, and there are answers in the Bible. And so here in verse 11, it says, you know, they said, don't send us out of this country. And it, it said in verse 11, now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. They were feeding, they had, um, I don't know if swine herders, whatever you call them, and they're overseeing them. It said, so all the demons begged him because they recognized his authority. There is change coming to this land, and it's starting out with this one miracle. And it said, so they said, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits, these are evil spirits, went out of this guy and entered into the swine. And there were about 2,000 swine there. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned into the sea. They took off running down this hill, went and drowned themselves. They did not want to be controlled by this evil presence that was possessing each one of them. But what's interesting is there's swine there. There's these herds of swine. These are unclean animals. This is a Gentile place. This is a place where maybe Jesus would not regularly, and we don't know, you know, that he really frequented places like this by his own admission and by the stories that are written in the Bible. And, but there is about to be a massive change. It's in the process. And these people, it said, we'll, we'll read 15 again, then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been, uh, verse 14, I'm sorry. So those who fed the swine, these are these swine herders, what are they called? Anyway, and they told it in the city and in the country, and in this country, and they went out to see what had happened. So these guys are like, man, we were there feeding these swine, and all of a sudden we see this Jesus guy casting the devil out of, you know, the madman, the crazy guy that lives in the tomb who's naked and cuts himself, and we've tried to chain him, and he, he set that man free, and everything that was, went in him, was in him went into all these people, or into all these pigs, and, and they took off and they all killed themselves. Well, this is not a regular occurrence. So people, as people are, aren't, none of you are like this, but all of a sudden you see smoke and you get in your car and you drive by, you know, or whatever you hear, drive by. Nobody would do that, right? Hear a crash in the grocery store, go to the next aisle because you need to check and see if what you, what's going on. People are curious, and they find out about these drowning swine. This is why testimonies are so incredible. And if you really look at this story, personal testimony is an underlying factor 
of the massive change that was going to and started taking place here. So there's personal testimony. Man, we've seen this. So people are coming, flocking to see. Verse 15, Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed. Isn't it interesting? Out of control, now under control. Naked, now clothed. That could tell you something. Just a thought. Clothed and in his right mind. So being in your right mind is a good thing from God. And they were afraid. Isn't it interesting? They were afraid after a guy was changed. After hearing all this, seeing this, they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened. To him. In other words, they're like, look, this is how this happened to this guy. Because people are coming running to see. And people are testifying. And you see, testimony is a huge thing here. Who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. I mean, this is starting to spread. Then they began to plead with him to depart from the region. Isn't this an amazing thing? Jesus set somebody free, and you would think, wow, there is a guy here who can help people, and they're panicking. I mean, they're panicking. It's amazing when you read the Bible uh, how people responded to Jesus and miracles. The religious people felt threatened. They, they tried to change him and impose religious rule. You can't do that on this day. Then they got other people and said, let's try to kill him. They spread rumors. He's a drunk. He's a wine-bibber. He, he, he's a glutton. He's all the, he does this by the power of the devil. Not all people were just totally excited about what was going on. Are you with me? I know in our own thinking sometimes we think, why wouldn't everybody love it? Because people are motivated by stuff. That was a nice way. Then they began to plead with him to depart from this region. And you know how Jesus is, no, I got to stay. No, Jesus said, all right, I'll go. If you don't want me, I'll leave. I mean, he's the son of God. But I'll leave. If you don't want me, I'll move on. Somebody else will want me. How many of you know they were about to give up on something that, uh, man, they should not have given up on? They, they just didn't understand. They weren't understanding properly. They didn't know all the details. They'd just seen some surface stuff and said, enough is enough, we're moving on. And when he got into the boat, he had walked down to the boat with his disciples. He who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. In other words, let me travel with you. I mean, I want to leave this atmosphere that doesn't want you. I want you. I want to go with you. This is a total transition time for Jesus in influencing this land, bringing deliverance. He's going to an area where he said, God has not called me to go here, but he went under God's direction really to open up an area to God and to the work of God. 
However, verse 19 said, Jesus did not permit him. In other words, Jesus said, you can't go with me. Now, some people would hear that and think that Jesus would tell them today, you can't be around him. That's not true. But in his earthly ministry, there were people that couldn't be with him because they weren't called to that. But Jesus knew what, what could happen. Notice this. However, Jesus did not permit him, but he said to him, Jesus commissioned him for work and service to that area this day in his place. He said, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis. So Jesus went on and started sharing in another area. But it isn't it interesting? Jesus didn't give up on the area that was starting to see something dramatic. He just said, look, you'll be the calling card. You go tell them what happened. I found this in my own life and other people's lives. You know, we might tell people about Jesus, and they say, well, we don't want Jesus. We don't believe in him. But if somebody has a personal testimony, like I was healed or I was delivered, you can't shut the door on that. Oh, that happened 2,000 years ago. That was this. That was then. You know, that was make-believe. No, I was healed. No, I was delivered. Well, they know it's not make-believe. Now they're confronted with something. And really, Jesus was about changing that area, even in his absence. But what we're talking about today is promotion. Jesus went into this new area to influence this area for the kingdom of God, to bring about change, and we get, we get some insight. Real interesting insight to me. But how many of you know, if we're talking about promotion, transition, uh, transition, right as people change, uh, there can be some navigating. I would say this. This transition time for them... Uh, was not unopposed. Uh, uh, not unopposed by those ruling spirits that they were about to go confront. And so, I know in my own life, there have been times God has dealt with me. You enter into something new, you kind of move up, and there's a sense of excitement. Man, we're, we're entering into this new thing. There's something good going on. It's coming up. I can tell. Anybody ever been there before? Man, it, this is good. And all of a sudden, there's wind blowing. And when I mean wind blowing, I don't mean just mess your hair up wind. I'm talking invisible wind. Pressure. Thoughts. This strange, this is not like me to think this. Well, it, it, it's not like you to think it, and those thoughts may not be originating with you. And we'll see here that this transition to this new place was uh, a quick transition, but it was wrought with uh, some trouble. And so let's back up to the fourth chapter and begin reading in the 35th verse. And maybe you see yourself in a transition. 
Maybe you see yourself or recognize something going on, like, man, God's taking me into something new. Uh, I can tell. Maybe you've already got word on it, and now all of a sudden the wind's blowing, and it's like, I'm right there. Notice this in verse 35. On the same day when evening had come, fourth chapter, had come, he said to them, to his disciples, let us cross over to the other side. So this is that sea that when Jesus got to the other side, when we read in verse 1, they got out of the boat and they confronted this demoniac and begin to influence this whole region. This is what led up to it. And this was not six months before. This was like right as this transition is happening right when they entered in this happened the day before notice let us cross to the other side verse 36 now when they had left the multitude they took him along with the boat or along in the boat as he was and other little boats were also with him. So we see them in this boat, the disciples, they're cruising across to this other land. The Lord said, we're going here to the story we just read about. It's a transition. We're moving on. It is going to be good. We're going to do stuff. But it, you notice that little phrase, took him as he was. He didn't get to shower. He didn't get to maybe eat a sandwich. So he gets on this boat after ministering and, you know, exerting energy, he's tired, he goes to sleep in the back of a boat. Now, verse 36, now when they had left the multitude, they, they all get in this boat in little boats. Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that there, the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, or we would say the back part of the boat, asleep on a pillow, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Isn't it interesting, a, a transition time into something good, these guys are freaking out. We're going to die? Don't you care? Nobody would ever think like that. Don't you care, Lord? Don't you see what's going on? And he has just said, we're going over here to go do something tremendous. Something good is coming up. Or I'm tired. He didn't explain anything. He said, let us go over. We're going to go do this work. I'm going to go take a nap. And they wake up freaked out. How many of you know when a storm comes to your life, sometimes there's catchy things that are said, but really don't make a lot of sense. You know, this wasn't sent to destroy you. It was sent to promote you. No, this thing was sent to destroy them, not to promote them. You know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. No, some things can jack people up for a long time. That is the purpose of them. We shouldn't sugarcoat it. You know, you hear about somebody who gets abused as a kid. You wouldn't tell them that. Well, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. No, it messes with coping skills. It makes them defenseful in ways. 
that maybe others would not be dis- defenseful and wouldn't respond a certain way. Now they've got to work their way out of them. And then if you teach people, well, God's sending it. Ouch. Because, you know, God's in control of everything. No. That is a dangerous thought. Remember, was God in control of those demons? Was God in control of this storm that came against Jesus to sink him and his ministry companions? If it was sent by God, and if God's in control of everything, then the Lord, when he woke up, would have said, whatever the will of the Lord is. It's getting quiet. Sometimes we adopt things that are inappropriate. And I don't mean that in a bad way because I've reevaluated things as I've gone on in my Christian walk and went, wait a minute, that is not a good evaluation. And, and that's okay. But notice this, verse 36, but is, he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. They awoke him and said to him, you know, because sometimes people say, you know, these bad things, they're, they're here to teach me. They, they're just to make me, make me more pious and make me t- more toward God. You know, because some people say that about being sick. You, God's trying to teach me. He's trying to make me. The, this problem didn't make them more godly. It didn't bring out the best. When people are in a hard time in life, it doesn't bring out the best. And God's about bringing out the best. But notice this. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Don't you care we're all going to die? Well, how many of you know that is probably not the best thing to say to Jesus when he's on your boat? We're going to die, don't you care? And Jesus is like, no, I don't care. No, I don't, I don't care if you perish, and I don't care if I perish. He just flat ignored them. Then he rose and rebuked the wind and, the, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Now remember, this is in the ocean, or this sea, it's not the ocean. This sea is like seven miles by 13 So they're in the middle of the sea, so they might be three miles because the direction they were going, maybe three miles from the other shore. So they've been commissioned, let's go over here. They can see where they're headed. They can see their future from where they're at. They can know, they're like, that's where we're going. And right in the middle, a storm rises up, and they go into full-blown panic mode. And the Lord wakes up by them waking him up, and he gets bombarded by things he shouldn't have been bombarded by. And he rebuked the storm and said, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Realize this was in the transition. 
this is as they're about to enter in. I mean, they're, I'm maybe, well, I'm not a bad swimmer, but I could have swam to shore. These guys maybe could have swam to shore. We know Peter could swim because he jumped in the water and swam to shore once before or once later on. And I doubt that he got swim lessons after this. He had been a fisherman his whole life. He thought, man, if we're going to be in the sea with Jesus, or no, he ran and jumped in the water before this. So he wasn't like he didn't have the ability to swim. And so it said he rebuked and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you fearful? Nobody said, uh, because there's a big massive storm. Because they knew they were in trouble. (laughs) You know what I mean? Whoops. How is it that you have no faith? Fear and no faith. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, not out loud, they didn't say it to him, who can this be? that even the wind and the sea obey them. Basically what the Lord was doing was was saying, why did you wake me up? Why didn't you speak peace? Why were you afraid? Where was your faith in this thing? Why did you wake me up so that I would speak peace? There were other times things like this happened and the Lord said, how long am I... I'm not going to be with you a long time. You're going to have to get this. Because when I'm gone, it's going to change. And so here they learned a valuable lesson right in the face of a transition where they could see what was ahead. They were challenged with a storm, with something that was not just physical, It had to be mental because of all the emotions that rushed forth. So it wasn't just an issue of dealing with fear and releasing faith. It was speaking peace to the problem. Speaking peace. And I'm talking they are right at the door. They are watching something happen and all of a sudden these thoughts come in. Nobody's ever had that before. But the the issue is this, is do we do what the disciples did or learn from what Jesus taught? We need to learn from what Jesus taught. If we find all of a sudden we're in a transition time and we're losing peace, we need to speak. Somebody told me I've been hearing testimonies pretty regular now about people. Somebody in the church told me that they work in one of the areas of ministry, so they're not in here every week. But they said, every time I've been here, when you've been teaching on this subject, I have had a sense of excitement inside that I'm going to get promoted, that, that I'm going to get a new job. It's there. And they said, every time I hear this, there's a sense of joy and excitement down inside her spirit. And, and she, said, she said, just the other day I got a call early in the morning in the office and from this boss and said, um, I need to talk to you. 
Well, they had been sensing this change and this joy was in them and they knew it was good and they believed it was from God. And they said, all of a sudden these thoughts just came into their head. Oh, great. I'm going to get fired. Nobody's ever been there before. I'm going to get fired. Great. And then the boss person said, and this boss never calls in the morning. And they're like, oh, great. They're calling and they never call. Uh. And the boss said, hey, I need to talk to you about something. And the person said, with all this knowledge they had received, knowing good is coming, they just said, they spoke to the boss and said, well, just get it over with. You know, like, just say it. But they're like, no, wait a minute. I know this is going to be good. So what do we do then? And then, then the boss said, hey, you know, here it is, and got a promotion. And the, even the boss told him, you know, we haven't been giving out promotions. It's been so long since I've made a call like this. But that person knew beforehand it was coming, had a sense of peace from God, joy and excitement. But did that stop right at the door an attack to try to rob peace. Maybe nobody's ever gone through this in here, but just in case you know somebody or you find yourself there, what was he saying? Speak peace. Don't let that abide. You're going in, you're going on, you're moving up. Start releasing peace. Turn with me. And we'll look at a couple of verses real quick. In Matthew, the 10th chapter, I've had to navigate life in this kind of area in some really tough times. And I mean real tough times. Where, you know, everything was saying no. Everything was saying the jig's up. You know, it ain't going to work. It's not working. It's not happening. And you have to know what you know. Know what you know from God and press on. And you'll have to speak to some storms and command peace. This may sound like a weird thing, but have you ever thought of speaking peace? We, we don't really hear about it in the Old Testament. We see the introduction of this idea in the earth ministry of Jesus. Here in Matthew, the 10th chapter, you can turn there. And we'll see here that Jesus shows his disciples they have control over the peace that they are going to experience. Now, we know in the Old Testament, he said, you know, if you keep your mind stayed on him, not on the problem, he will keep you in perfect peace. But how many of you know, sometimes there are things that just come that demand your attention. Demand you get your eyes off of the Lord. And demand you look at this situation for what it is. And the Lord here said, no, we guys, and he's sending them out. 
This is a transition time for them. They had been traveling with the Lord. And he said, now here's what I'm going to have you do. I'm going to have you go out ahead of me. You're going to prepare the way for me. But when you go in this new way that was not done before, they had been training, and now they're about to start doing their own little ventures here. Go out and preach and come back. Go out and preach and come back. It's interesting that the Lord talks to them about how to control the peace of God. I know that sounds foreign, but what if we have more over how we experience the peace of God than we realize? And are we doing what the Lord, uh, or the disciples did to the Lord, waking up when trouble comes and freak out? And really what the Lord was trying to say and had taught them before and taught them in the future after this, that you actually have peace from Him that you can start uh, applying to situations. Christians actually have peace. One of the promises in, in John 15 or, and the 14th chapter, he said, my peace, I'm going to give it to you. It's going to be yours. So if you have it, does it mean you're automatically going to experience it? No, because he obviously said there is something that we can do to control the peace of God. Not the peace that the world gives but a divine supernatural peace. And here in John 13 was one of his introductions. And this is just one verse. Seems so small. But this was a transition time for them. You're going to go out. You're going to preach. People are going to allow you to stay in their homes while you're in the area preaching. They didn't have Motel 6, I guess, back then. So they go into the homes. And he said, look, when you transition and you move into this new home and you're with these people, you're going to have some control over the peace of God there. And by it, you're going to know whether you should stay or move on and how they treat you. If they treat you wrong and they don't allow you to stay, then, then you have some control over how the peace is going to work in that situation. You ready? He said, verse, verse 12, and when you go into a house, a household, greet it. If the household is worthy or accepts you, let your peace, let it. You know, there's other places that said, let the peace of God rule in your heart. In other words, give way. Let your peace come upon it. In other words, the peace that you have from me, you can release and let it start to dominate. So it would be kind of like if you came here and you had control of the thermostat, you could set it where you want to. You know, I had read a thing and, or saw an article about Bill Gates, and this was from years ago where he had put some kind of chip or had some kind of little band or something that he would wear in his house, and it was electronically set up that wherever he would go in the house, it would turn the thermostat to his liking. I guess you'd have to have the one 
with the husband the highest ranking and then the wife the one ranking below. So if you get into the room, right? I meant the wife above, the man underneath go into the room and then the wife supersedes. But you get what I'm saying. Wherever they would go, it would control different things. It would turn on the lights, do certain types of things, adjust the air conditioning. Um, he had a control of it where he went. We do that to a degree. If we're at a hotel, we go into a hotel. Uh, if it's not cold enough or too cold, you go over there and you're hitting that thing saying, no, this is going to be how I like it. And you know, the Lord said, and what if we live and don't realize this? And the Lord said, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, in other words, if it's not accepting, and you'll, you'll see that if you read on, he said that if they don't accept you and don't do this, they're not worthy. But he said, but if they are, you know, if they're not worthy, but if they are, he said, let your peace return, or if they're not worthy, let your peace return to you. So basically what he said is, you have control over your peace. If the people and the situation is right, let your peace dominate there. And this is a peace that the world does not give. And he said, but if they're not worthy, in other words, they're not accepting, they're not inviting, he said, let your peace come back and go with you. That means you carry it, whether we know it or not. The Bible said the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, when a person gets saved, they actually have peace from God in their spirit. But how many of you know you can have a lemon tree, but the fruit of a lemon tree is a lemon? I almost said lime. That would have been confusing. Really. But, so the potential is there. You just have to get the potential out. And so when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and one of them being God's divine peace, here is something we need to know. Our words are key to how peace works. Our words are key to how peace works. Jesus showed you could speak to a storm and say, peace be. If you're transitioning and you can see what's going on and you know something, you need to, if starts, thoughts start assailing your mind, give it a try. Say, I command peace in this situation. I command the mental wind, stop in Jesus' name. You with me? We don't have to pray to God. I know that sounds weird. But there were other times where Jesus didn't say, didn't say, tell people to pray. He told them, say something. Start using the authority that's been given you. Start speaking peace to a situation. And I know sometimes that sounds foreign, but if you would be a, a student and just keep looking in the Word, you'll find that part of the armor of God, one of the weapons is the sword of the Spirit, which literally means the spoken word out of your mouth. What if you started, when, when stuff started blowing in your life, you started saying, you stop it in Jesus' name. 
I declare the peace of God is in me, and it's going to rule me. Anybody there? Philippians 4 said this, don't worry about anything. That's a big command. But in everything, talk to God, get your problem over onto him. And then he said, the peace of God, which will surpass all understanding, will guard like a military force your mind and your heart. Get the problem over on God's side. And then it said, give thanks or start giving praise, and that peace will begin to dominate you. I would challenge anybody and everybody to start thinking more like I have divine peace if I know the Lord. I may have not been the best at getting it into motion, but I'm going to start verbalizing this peace, and it will start getting into motion. I have a hose, and on the end of the hose, you can turn on the hose at the house, but out at the, where the water would come out, I have a little knob thing there that opens the flow. You know, God at the house, in your spirit, if you're saved, has put so much peace in you. It's just kind of, now I've got to open this. And start letting it out. It would be good for us, like exercise, to start speaking peace. Speak it in your house. The peace of God lives here. The peace of God lives around me. Then when you find, and because we're talking about transition, and I guarantee you that the enemy didn't want them didn't want Jesus, didn't want the disciples. They didn't want to relinquish control over the land they were going to, so they kicked up a storm. Not that every storm is from the devil. Some are natural things. But this one was so much not God that he rebuked it. If it was God, he wouldn't have rebuked it. Because he would have been rebuking God. So I would encourage you, to start verbalizing divine peace. And if you're in the middle of a transition, like that person told me, start speaking peace. God wants you not just to enter into the good. He wants you to get there in peace, in style. You know what I mean by that? He wants you to get there in style. I mean, you can get there both ways. I mean, they could have all got there and swam on boards or whatever. But the Lord didn't want that because they needed the boat when they were going to go to the next place. So I would encourage you to begin to verbalize the peace of God in your life, in your home. And if you are in a transition and all of a sudden wind is blowing, command peace. Command His peace. 